0: Profitability, probably the most important thing when it comes to a law firm. I mean, obviously, doing great work is awesome. Helping clients is wonderful. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much revenue you bring in. If there's no profitability, at the end of it, you can't keep everybody paid. You can't put anything in your pocket. There's really no reason to run a business. And so I always love talking to anybody way smarter than me when it comes to profitability. And I've got one of those people with me today. For those of you that don't know, Jaden Doyer, also known as the law firm's CPA, so smart it rhymes, uses his 10-plus experience of accounting and business consulting experience to help firm owners across the nation reach new heights and catch more flights. As president of Prestige Accounting Solutions, Jaden loves to use specialized accounting strategies to help law firm owners increase their profits and pay less to the IRS. Jaden's a best-selling author and internationally acclaimed speaker. His topics range from business development client acquisition, hiring, profitability, and utilizing technology. He's held numerous workshops around the world on the value of connection, understanding, and collaboration in growing a business. He was even named a best-selling author in 2022 by Amazon, a distinction that speaks to his influence and impact as an author. With an extraordinary ability to connect with people on a profound level and an incomparable capacity to captivate audiences with his words and thoughts, Jaden's work has touched thousands of lives across the globe. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And what we are talking about today is the six steps to increasing profitability. But before we go into those six six steps, tell me a little bit, who is Jaden Doye?
1: You know, Jaden Doye is one of those people who has come from humble beginnings. A lot of people look at me and the lifestyle that I live and They see that I take a business trip every month and what they don't see is all of the hard work to get here. So I have had over a decade of experience working in the accounting field. I got my degree from Towson University in Maryland. And two weeks later, I packed up my car and moved to Atlanta with no family, no friends, no job. I just knew I was gonna make it work. And fast forward after a lot of hard work and determination, here we are today. So, I love working with lawyers in particular. I real, really feel like, as a licensed professional myself, I understand the importance of making sure that you run your business effectively and efficiently so that you don't actually lose that license that you work so hard to get.
0: And I love you had a post the other day um, about an Amex that was just so funny. Like, you know, the the amount of work and effort and, you know, rebuilding your credit and everything you went into. I mean, it was just such a good, all-encompassing story that goes right into what you're talking about today.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, now we live in a different era. You know, at one point, in order to have a business, um, you couldn't start a business with no money. Now you can start a business with little to no money, per se. Um, But, you know, just I would say maybe over the past 30 years, the industry has changed so much to where we're able to do that. So it's honestly a blessing.
0: I love it. All right. Um, I, get, I got a couple more questions before we dive into the okay. increasing profitability. Why Atlanta? Like, what was the, that's where I, I'm called to go.
1: Yeah. Well, I believe life is customizable. So I grew up in Maryland, went to school in Maryland. And even though growing up in DC, PG County, Maryland, Versus Baltimore, going to college in Baltimore, these are two completely different experiences. Um, I still felt like I needed to I needed to spread my wings and go elsewhere. And so because I believe life is customizable, you know, my senior year of college, I started to think, where would I want to live after graduation? So I looked at, I knew I wanted to live in a major city. I knew that I, the city had to have a nightlife, but they also had to have a lot of job opportunities. So you know, through process of elimination, it came down to L.A., Charlotte, and Atlanta. L.A. was too expensive, and then it came down between Charlotte and North Carolina. I mean, Charlotte and Atlanta. And at twenty-two, you know, experiencing both cities, I felt like there was more of a nightlife and duality in Atlanta than Charlotte.
0: So Atlanta just became where I where I where I moved. So I uh, I just finished a book. I don't remember what it was called, but the, uh, the authors from Maryland moves to LA and she's like, if you're a real Maryland, Marylandian, Marylander, Maryland, whatever it was, she's like, you bring old day with you everywhere. So I got to ask, do you, did you bring the old day to uh, Atlanta? Oh, absolutely. Yes.
1: Yes. Obey and my clothes. That's too, what I brought.
0: <laughs> too funny. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I love this. So we're talking about our six steps to increasing profitability. Um, Do you want to just do an overview of all six and then we'll go into them each time? That'll make the easiest way for us to do a carousel from this.
1: Absolutely. So the six steps to increasing profitability, I call it the profit acronym. So the profit method includes P, proper planning, R, relaxing and delegate, O, organization, F, financial statements, I, incorporate profit first, and T, target those are the six steps to increasing profitability in your
0: firm and it spells out profit. All right, that's it everybody. That's We're good. done. That's the whole <laughs> that's the whole webinar. No, um how much did you have to massage it to be profit cuz i mean it sounds like it's pretty on point.
1: Honestly, i didn't have to work that hard. I just listed out, you know, all of the things that a client, you know, all of the things that i use when it comes to helping my clients and the FAQs and a lot of the processes, then kind of organized it into areas to where they make sense. So like, it's like taking a bunch of files and putting it into a file folder. And then from there, looking at how many letters it was, and then I started with PRO. And then I had, okay, we're going to make it profit. And now we just need to figure out these last three letters.
0: I love it. Or it's a pro fit. I know either way. yes that's a good one
1: that's a good one yes
0: all right so let's talk proper planning when it comes to a law firm owner maximizing their profitability Mm -hmm. walk me through how proper planning comes into play
1: okay so when it comes to proper planning we're talking about a few different things one you want to make sure that you are planning from a tax perspective so a lot of people uh Don't even know the difference between tax preparation and tax planning. Tax preparation is someone just preparing your tax return. Tax planning is a tax planner working with you throughout the year. And based off the ebbs and flows of your business, helping you estimate what your quarterly estimated tax payment should be. And in addition to that, giving you a list of different strategies that you can implement. Are you in the right corporation? Are you employing family members if that's something that you can do uh, based off of your jurisdiction? And so many other deferred income. There's so many different strategies that high-income earners that have businesses can do to legally mitigate their tax liability. We also want to make sure that we're planning when it comes to a big shift whether you're leaving big law and going into your own firm, or maybe you're shifting, maybe you're tired of being burnt out, having to go to court five days a week. And you want to do, you want to go from maybe family law to something more transactional, like the state planning. Um, if that's the case, we want to make sure that we plan for that shift. When it comes to Hiring, we want to make sure we're planning for that. When it comes to our finances, we want to make sure that we're planning for expenses and income that's to come so that we can effectively plan for shifts that we want to make in our business. A lot of times we want to join these high-level programs and things of that nature, but we don't have the free cash flow to do that currently. So effective planning can help you say, okay, well, in the next 30 or 60 days, I will implement this strategy so that I have enough free cash flow in order to invest more into my business.
0: So along those lines, when it comes to the planning for the upcoming changes, hmm how much is it you pushing the cart on that idea? How much is it the lawyer coming to you with their longer term goals and you kind of figuring out how to make the finances work? Like, talk to me about that interplay. Um, I'm more pushing the
1: cart. So for me, I have a gift of making people millionaires. They don't know that they're millionaires when they first meet me. But when I break it down as far as how easy it is to become a millionaire, um, then They start to listen and they start to implement different strategies. So when I show a client their financial statements, it's as if I'm looking under the hood of the car and showing them, "Look, this is how bad your oil is." Or you know, when you go for oil change and then they pull up your filter and they say, "Look at all the leaves and dirt in your filter. We need to change this so you so you're breathing clean air." That's what I'm doing when I'm working with my clients. I'm helping them understand that from a number standpoint, what they need to do in order to get to the next level.
0: I love how you took the like very white collary accounting thing and the obviously lawyering being very white collar and you're like, here's the blue collar switch, you know, mm-hmm. here's the dirty filter. Yeah, funny. All right. Um, when it comes to the proper part of the planning, mm-hmm. walk me through a little bit of like how we know what the right thing to plan for is.
1: OK, so I like especially when it comes to taxes, Um, I like to kind of walk my clients through all of their options, right? So one of the things that we like to always do when we give our tax plan is do an entity comparison chart. So we're um, showing them by being in a, if I tell you to be in an S Corp, I'm giving you the best advice because if you did a C Corp, this is how much you would pay in taxes. Versus, if you stay taxed as a sole proprietor, this is how much more you will be paying in taxes. So, the entity that is the foundation of the business at the end of the day, how you're taxed. Um, so, that's one of the first things that we have to att- that we have to plan for. Um, and also, when it comes to stocks and how you can take money in and out of the business, that change from changes from an S corporation to a C corporation. So making sure that we are in the right tax entity is one of the number one things we have to make sure that we properly plan for.
0: I love it. All right. Before we move on to relax and delegate, anything else in proper planning?
1: I think we're good. I think we covered, you know, I think we covered it.
0: All right. Well, you brought me in on at least the relax part of, if not the delegate part too. So walk Mm -hmm. me through the, uh, the R profit.
1: Well, I'll tell you this. At one point, I was working 80 hours a week in my business. I was working 80 hours a week, two months in a row. It was December 2020 and January of 2021. At this point, the the government was changing the law every week. And that directly affected tax law. So there were different credits, there were different programs, all of these things that not only affected us, but also affected our clients. So I had to constantly educate myself and constantly make changes to forms and things of that nature. Um, During this time, I was not eating well. I mean, I barely saw sunlight unless I was going to Waffle House to pick up my dinner. And I remember I would have four eat, four eggs, scrambled with cheese, and a blueberry muffin every day. And because I ate so terribly, I actually gained 23 pounds in those two months. Ooh. So my doctor told me that I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol. My, my, my stats were honestly disgusting out of nowhere, right? Right. And so I literally had to rest and take time out of my business. And I couldn't believe that me as a CPA, having a team of 13, why am I still working 80 hours a week in my business? Why am I? Why do I have such a high level of stress? And so I really had to sit back and really figure out what was going on in my business. And I actually booked a vacation at that time too. And when I came back from that vacation, Sorry, not a vacation, business trips, because we only take business trips, okay? When I came back from that business trip, I felt so rejuvenated and I felt well rested and I felt ready to serve my clients much better. So, it's, so for me, the relax and delegate needs, you as a business owner need to take at least a quarterly vacation. A lot of companies have mandatory vacation policies. I'll get into that in a moment, but I believe that as a business owner, you need to create that policy for yourself. It's gonna help you give you time to get out of everything so that you can truly reflect on your emotions and your feelings and what worked, what didn't work. It'll open up your mind to different possibilities. When you experience different cultures, you get to see things from a different point of view And that is actually helping develop you as a business owner. So I take a business trip every month, and I know that could be a lot for some people. So I I say at least uh, every quarter. And in order for you to do that, in order for you to have a business enterprise that can run without you physically being there, you're going to have to delegate. You're going to have to duplicate yourself in pieces to your team members. So when I talk about relax and delegate, that's what I mean.
0: When you're talking about this quarterly business trip, I mean, what's, what's the minimum parameter here? Are we talking about like a, a, you know, a one-day trip? Are we talking about a weekend? Are we talking about a week? Like what's the breakdown? At least at least three days. Okay. And many people are
1: in some type of coaching program or mastermind where they, their, their program has some type of outing every quarter. So it's not very difficult for many people in our industry to do that.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I don't know who did it first, but I have seen right. more and more of the uh, the the quarterly retreats on it makes now, sense, like though. all of them. Well, it makes it makes sense of them. And then if you tie it to uh, the twelve week year, if you tie it to the EOS quarter, if you tie it to you know quarterly planning, however you want to do it, you can really just have that be your benchmark. I don't that be your your calendar, in essence. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, Go a little bit deeper for me, if you can, on the delegation part. I love you phrased it as recreating yourself in other people. Mm -hmm. Yep. So people feel like
1: um, in order for me to duplicate myself, I have to have one other person that does everything I do. And that's not true. So having a team of 13 allows me to delegate pieces of my of my expertise to different team members. So we have different levels. We have entry level people, we have the senior staff, we have the operations manager, we have the marketing team. So everything that I do, almost everything that I do can be done without me being here, except for me signing off on something that I legally have to sign off on. So Um, what we do is we make sure that any anything that I do we create SOPs for anything that I do or any of the team members have to do we create SOPs for and so we have a whole library of standard operating procedures and you can do this easily just by using a tool like ScribeHow where it does a screen recording of what you're doing and documents every time you click or type Um, and so from there Then we take the the library and then we pull different SOPs out for different roles. So this also streamlines the learning process when it comes to bringing on a new team member. We also provide them with the rubric that we're going to use when we do their 90-day evaluation. This gives full transparency between me and the team member so they know exactly what I'm going to be um, reviewing them on and they know exactly what areas I'm going to be looking at and they can make sure that they are performing at their peak.
0: Yeah. I love that. Like, all right, so I'm doing all these things. Here's my library. I put this position together. All right. I'm grabbing this one. I'm grabbing this one. I'm grabbing that one. And now they've got, you know, their manual into the 98 rubric. I think that's such a smart way to do it. And I have to imagine it's not that much extra time, right? Like if you're doing it and you said to scribe, how to put it together and then having it, you know, put together for them. Like that seems to be less than training somebody 15 times on how to do something to make sure they get it right. Absolutely. So you could
1: have the, every individual team member do it. Or what I did was I actually hired a virtual assistant specifically for that project. And we spent months getting it together.
0: I love that. Yeah. I like the, um, it's interesting, you know, especially you talked about the ability to start a firm with, you know, no money or less money. Mm-hmm. I love the also, I love the ability as well now to have people so hyper focused but in a way where they can take ownership of one part of your business instead of, you know, having the paralegal who also answers the phone, who also does the intakes, who also does this, who also calls those people, who also orders, you know, toilet paper for the office and just making that into like do this 40 hours a week, have this person do this for five, have this person do this for 10 and really get that specialization.
1: Absolutely. I believe that, you know, in the event that you want to take a whole month off, because sometimes let's be real, sometimes it's not worth taking a vacation to certain places. If it takes you days to get there, you want to take off at least 14 days. So you you should be able to take that time off because you could, when you had a job, so things should not change if you have a business. And then when it comes to hours, um, every role should have a, a, a hour requirement as far as not an hour requirement, but a hour, I would say, template. So for example, my operations manager is going to do X amount of billable hours, even though we charge a flat fee, billable hours. We're expected that X amount of his time will be into project management. X amount of his time will be into admin. So that kind of helps guides the people that you're working with. The old school model of having a bunch of people just doing a bunch of billable hours just to make ends meet, it's really outdated because a lot of their work, let's be real, could be done by a $10 an hour VA. So let's break it down. Let's make sure that we're pushing things down the pipeline as far as to the bottom of your organizational chart and letting the admin people assist your team members. We have a big team approach here. So a lot of the stuff that we do here at Prestige is very, um, it's like a, on a team approach, very collaborative. And I teach my clients to make sure that they do the same thing. That way they can maximize the hours and time and payout that they're giving their team members.
0: Makes total sense. All right. Uh, anything else where we dive in and organize? Because it seems like that's the, uh, the next step of having all these SOPs together.
1: Right. I think we're ready to dive right into organize.
0: Take take it away.
1: So with organize one, you have to have an organizational chart and you have to have an organizational chart for not only the firm that you have today, but the firm that you want. So, so often I talk to attorneys and I'm telling them how they can quickly get more sales in their business. And the task that I'm telling them to delegate, they want to delegate at to $50 an hour. And I have to tell them, no, 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 no. no. Sorry, no.
0: You, you broke up for a second.
1: The task that I'm giving these attorneys to do in order to increase the revenue in their firm should be given to an administrative assistant or a virtual assistant. However, gotcha. unfortunately they want to give it to the, the next person in charge who is their paralegal who gets paid $50 an hour. So we have to make sure that we, we we have a hierarchy in our firm when it comes to that organizational chart. That will be key. And we, and we are clear as far as what duties everybody is responsible for. That's one. Not only do we need to have an organizational chart for the firm we have today, but for the firm you plan to grow into because if over the next couple of years you're in a growth phase, we need to know who are the next three people that we're going to hire over the next few years. So when it comes to organization, we talk about having those SOPs to streamline training, having an organizational chart for the firm that you plan to grow into, and being very detailed as far as the expectations uh, of the people in on this organizational chart, I think having a template of a job description is great, but you need to be really real with these people and customize it to what they're actually doing on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis.
0: When it comes to, I mean, it's such a a point I want to echo, like the giving the task to the right person. You know, the fifty dollar mm-hmm. an hour employee, the twenty five, the ten, whatever it is. How do you help somebody? make that decision or how do you help somebody figure out who's the right person or what's the right financial amount for this task? Um, it's a
1: little bit, of. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit of industry research and sometimes it's just my years of experience. I know what a $10 an hour job is versus the $50 an hour job. And so we first have to look at the timesheet. And a lot of people, unfortunately, aren't tracking time because they do flat fee, right? So that makes it a little difficult. So we have to incorporate timekeeping procedures in the firm, which also falls in line with organization. Once we look at that, we can look at where the gaps are. Where it, is it? Sometimes people think that their employees are really busy, but their employees could really take on more work instead of hiring someone else. We really need to look at. I need to help them evaluate the effectiveness. If if this case, this casework work should only be three hours, why are they spending eight hours per case? So when we delve into the numbers, that's what, that's what happens. When we really dig deep into the numbers like that. We can help them figure out as far as which staff member is not really leading to their bottom line. So it starts at the top. We look at revenue. And then from there, we look at how many open matters they have. That helps us figure out the average case value. okay. Then from there, we look at the direct cost, meaning the direct labor and any expenses that are not reimbursed. And the labor percentage, we ideally want to be lower than 30%. And if it's not, then it's easy for me to advise the client on what changes need to be made.
0: I love that, the under 30%. Um, that's such a, it's such an actionable goal, such an Mm -hmm. actionable number, uh, however you want to phrase that. All right. Um, anything else about organized before we move into financial statements? I think we're good. All right, let's do it. We got a, we're about the halfway point and about halfway through the six. Great. So talk to me about the financial statements. Now we've got the proper planning. We've got the relaxation delegating. We've got some organization in here. Where do financial statements come in or how do they come in?
1: So the financial statements are the skeleton of the business. The foundation state the financial statements rather show me exactly what is wrong with the company. And so one, they need to know what their core financial statements are, those being the balance sheet. And the balance sheet talk shows assets, liabilities, and owner's equity. It shows how much money the firm has and how much they're owed, how much money they owe other people for loans, credit cards, bills, things of that nature. Outstanding. And then how much equity they have in the company or how much they've taken out in distributions of profit. So a healthy, a healthy firm will have ideally higher assets than liabilities. So especially when we talk about liquid assets. So liquid assets are those uh, either cash or cash equivalents, something that we can cash out on. If there's an emergency, we have readily available funds to use for the business. Now, then we move on to the profit and loss statement. The profit and loss shows the income and expenses for the company. Um, And what I do is I like to take it a step further and I like to pull a report that shows the the percentage that every expense is of income. So we divide labor divided by income to give us the percentage for labor. We take rent divided by income. And we look at to see where, if we're too heavy in certain areas of business when it comes to expenses, Um, a lot of people think the first strategy that they go to is cutting back on expenses. But sometimes that can be rather difficult to do because many firms are already too close to break even. And break even is the level of expenses where this is the bare minimum that you need to really run the firm. And this is where expenses equal profit, uh, equal income and there's no profit. And so when they're too close to the break-even point, then we can't cut back anymore without cutting back on quality. So we need to develop strategies to increase income. And the last report is the statement of cash flows. This shows where money came and went as it pertains to different activity areas. So we'll see how much cash we want a lot of cash inflows. That means money came in, cash outflows are money that went out. So we'll be looking at operating activities. So, of course, you know, whatever is on the PL that can. Uh, constitute as operating activities, but we also have investing activities. So we might have money that comes in from a loan and things of that nature that you don't see on the uh, on the profit and loss and the statement of cash flow will really break that down. So this is really important for firms, especially those that are paying back debt or obtaining debt. So they may not understand. They say, "I know my." My balance at the end of the month was the same that it was last month. So how did I make a profit? Well, you made a profit of $10,000. However, you have so many loans that $10,000 went back to pay these loans. That's why you didn't see the money. So having that report makes it easy for me to explain to a client where their money actually came from and went.
0: Makes subtle sense. Um, you mentioned under the profit and loss, the percentage of each, each expense of versus income. I'm getting that. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Are there consistent percentages a firm should be looking for on some of these things, or is it going to be very different from firm to firm? It's
1: very different, um, based off of one, what industry you're in, um, and, and then even your, even your income level. So, the firm that makes $20 million a year versus the firm that only makes $200,000 a year, their percentage of of income when it comes to marketing expense will be vastly different. Um, But in general, labor, I always say we always want to make sure labor is less, ideally less than 30% across the board.
0: Before we go into, The incorporating profit first. I want to touch on that point because look, so many people listen to this are not necessarily solo, but small law firm owners. Mm-hmm. And there's always this funky accounting where they're underpaying themselves and saying they're more profitable, but if they were making market rate, it would be different. So like, mm. where does that play into that 30%?
1: Um. So the 30% I don't include, I don't, when I do the 30%, I'm not looking at officer salary.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So we have
1: officer compensation as a separate line item than wages for everyone else.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So then that, so that 30% would be without the owner being paid for what they're doing and profit as the owner as well. Absolutely. Yes. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. All right. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about from financial statements or from the paying yourself what's your worth versus profit before we move into profit first? No, I think that's a great segue. All right. Profit first, the,
1: uh, the easiest way to keep your business running, I think. Yeah. And, and a guaranteed way to show profitability. So, uh, we are a Profit First certified firm. So, we have a lot of firm owners incorporate this in their business. And car- Profit First is a cash flow method that guarantees the business to be profitable. On the surface level, you have multiple bank accounts. And twice a month on your allocation days, you split the money from your earned income account into a number of different accounts. So, the simplified version that I give people is that you'll transfer a certain percentage into a profit savings account. This is a savings account that you accumulate money over the year. And every quarter, when you take that quarterly business trip or quarterly vacation, you have funds in order to do so because they've been set aside. Um, Then we have your tax savings account. So many times, people who earn a lot of money, if they don't plan for their taxes, then when it comes time to file their taxes they are hit with a large bill i've seen ten thousand thirty thousand fifty thousand seventy thousand dollars in taxes and the the
0: trick to avoid that is to have as many children as possible (laughs) just so
1: they say all the kids in the
0: world Uh, i'm i'm being sarcastic please for anybody that couldn't tell i mean uh, have as many kids as you want or i can have or whatever it is but they, uh, right. they, they will help with taxes to some extent, but that is not a, uh, that's not the reason to have children.
1: Right. So one way to ensure that you have the funds to pay those quarterly estimated taxes so that you can avoid having that large bill and avoid having to pay underpayment penalties is to set aside a piece of every income, every dollar that you earn into this tax savings account and make those quarterly estimated tax payments from that account. Then we have the operating expense account. And with the operating expense account, this is where your expenses are gonna be paid out. Now, the book teaches you to also have an owner's pay account. However, most firms are paying the owner payroll from the same account that they're paying the payroll for everyone else. So it could be kind of pointless to have that other account. But what I like to do is say, make sure that you at least allocate. So if I say that your owner's pay, your owner's benefit percentage should be 45%. We want to make sure between the owner's compensation, distributions of profits, and maybe other benefits that the business pays for, such as cell phone, corporate apartment, we want to make sure that the owner is at least benefiting at least 45%. 50% from the income that comes into this business. And quarterly, we can go through those percentages with the clients to see what progress they're making. And so by doing this, it gets you in the habit of really managing your money. I know so many people that never look at their bank statement, never look at their credit card statement, never really transfer money unless they have an IOTA account, they have to transfer it to the operating account. But even if you have an accountant, you still need to be aware of where your money is and, and how much you have and where it's going and how much you're, you have to be very intentional with paying yourself. A lot of times people start a business and they say, I started my own firm because I want freedom, but then they're not paying themselves a reasonable compensation. So you now you're working more than you were on your job and you're not paying yourself what you deserve to get paid. That doesn't sound like freedom to me
0: makes subtle sense or and or you've got the ones who are like i always i always tell people at the beginning of having my firm i looked at my credit card bill and i looked at my bank account and i wanted that much more money in the bank account and like that was it when it's when there is a ton in there it's great but Mm -hmm. when there's not you have no idea what the problem is Mm -hmm. as opposed to when you're talking about the profit first one you're getting paid out off the top but two you've got all these buckets and it's so much easier to see like, okay, there's not as much money coming in. There's a marketing problem over here. Okay. There's too much going out to labor. There's a bandwidth issue or a pricing issue or a billing issue. You know, it's so much easier to uncover what the real problem is. The more you have this stuff organized the whole yep. way through.
1: And it really shows you that you can really do more with less. Like it's the same thing with a deadline. You give somebody a deadline and say, I, uh, I just need this in three weeks. They'll get it done in three weeks. You tell them I need it done in three days. They'll find a way to get it done in three days.
0: Totally, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else before we jump over to Target? I think we're good. All right. Dude, this one great rundown, even better acronym for profit. But two, like this is it has it's been so easy to stay on uh, on time here. We've got about fifteen minutes. Uh, and we've got Target, and then we'll do some wrap up and answer some other big questions. So, Jaden, thanks so much for being with us so far today. Absolutely. And uh, let's go to the last one, Target. I'm assuming yes. this is make a bunch of money so you can shop at Target and buy whatever you want.
1: Um, not necessarily. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, you know. Okay. So when we talk about Target, we talk about setting targets. Um, so this means having revenue goals, having profit goals, um, setting uh, targets as far as how many people you want to download your lead magnet. And then we even talk about who your target avatar is. I know you deal with this way more than me, but when I'm talking to clients, I break it down and I say, look, look at this list of cases. These cases only got you $1,000 per client. Okay, we know something in common with these clients versus these clients that paid you $10,000 a case. So what is what is that? That is needs to be your target market. We can I I tell my clients to focus more on high value. There are people that teach volume and I don't necessarily uh, I don't necessarily relate to that having a volume based firm if you're a small firm. I think it's much easier and more at ease to have a high value, low volume firm. It's easier to grow and scale. And so with that, we need to make sure that the target market is right. Okay, we can't talk to people that only have $50 in their bank account and try to get $10,000 out of it. That's just not realistic. Um, And so setting these targets at least once a quarter and reviewing these, me personally, I have a uh, every every day my bookkeeper goes in and um, will document the balance for all of my bank accounts and available credits for my credit cards and will also document how much revenue we've made that day. And then it tallies up to the bottom, and it shows us how far we are from our goal. So, if we have ten days left in the month, and I know that I need to make another ten thousand dollars, I know that I need to either get another client, or I need to make some. I need to look at the AR report and see if there's money that
0: we need to collect. So, I want to touch on something you said before the uh, with the getting the clients, but knowing the value of the case or the profit of the case. I, I just want to echo what Jaden said because this is like all of our successful clients have two things. One, they have a point of contact who's not them who can do some of the more day to-day marketing or at least respond to our emails and stuff. But for that purpose, the second one is exactly what Jaden talked about there. Like from a marketing standpoint, I can tell you, hey, this was the cheapest click to get to your highest value case, But what he's talking about is the second part of that is, is your highest value case your most profitable case? you know, it's a $10,000 case that you work 100 hours on is not as profitable as a $5,000 case that takes you only 40 hours. So breaking that the whole rest of the way really makes you be able to target the marketing so much better. It's not just what's a case, it's what's the what's the most profitable case that you can have and bring in consistently. So absolutely awesome stuff. Where So in the revenue goals, the profit goals, the marketing goals, the, the target client that you're looking for, how are you helping firms come up with that? How are you helping them figure out what's a realistic goal to set from a money standpoint?
1: Well, we start looking at history. So historically, where have we, where have we been over the past year, over the past few quarters? And what are we implementing right now to progress to make more um you know if you're not implementing anything you're not going to see a change (laughs) let's just be clear right um and so based off of what they are willing to implement or already have in place um that that kind of gives me an idea but realistically we can work backwards with them telling me how much they want their salary to be and oftentimes it's too low so then i have to get on indeed and say oh really because um somebody down the street from you is hiring. So you can actually just go quit today and just go get a job if, you know. That's, you that, actually that's do that? Going. Absolutely, yes. Oh, Dude, I love and that. The, and, I... Then they, and then they tell me they don't wanna get a job and then we have to go back to their why and then we have to, you know. So we go through that and then we convince them that, you know, this is where you deserve to be. A lot of people, a lot of people, especially who are like me, who don't come from money, they struggle with the concept of being deserving of being wealthy. You have a specialized skill. You're very intelligent. You're delivering value. You're helping people. You deserve to be wealthy. So kind of helping them navigate through that, determine
0: what their salary is from there. We can work backwards. Okay. So mate, selfish question, but Mm -hmm. unselfish response from it because You're I I love that you're going on Indeed. And like, look, a you know, close to you in the same practice area, they're hiring a lawyer for more than you're saying you want to make. From a marketing, from a pricing the case standpoint, I Mm talked to so many lawyers who are like, well, the average cost of this in my area is blah blah blah. And I always give them like, are you an average lawyer? And thankfully, I'm pretty sure every single one has always told me, No, I'm above average. Great. So you should be charging above average, but Any other insight on how to frame that part of it? Like I get the indeed being what you're making, but in terms of what your firm is charging, the value-based pricing, the hourly rate, whatever that is, like, how are you helping them talk themselves into that part of it or helping them do that pricing or what? So the reason why a
1: lot of people struggle with price is because they really don't have the... They, they struggle with actually effectively communicating their value and 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 all that goes into it. So that's step one. We have to really break down. You're not just doing a divorce. OK, your discovery. How long is that? So we have to break down for we treat every. Deliverable, every every matter type like a recipe as if you had a pizza shop. So the cheese, the pepperoni, the crust, the marinara sauce. I need to know all of the pieces of your recipe for each of your deliverables. And then from there, we can look at, okay, well, how many hours does it take and who does it? And then we can look at the cost. And then from there, look at the ideal uh, profit percentage. And then that helps them substantiate their price a little more. But a lot of people aren't, from a number standpoint, aren't helping lawyers understand that. So, you know, a lot of CPAs are just telling them, you know, they, they actually want them to show low profits so that they can owe less in taxes. And my methodology, my thought process doesn't coincide with that.
0: it's, it's an award. The, uh, the more you pay in taxes, the more you made it as, as- assuming you budget for it correctly and yada 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 um all right but before we continue on i Mm -hmm. got i have to do that like super douchey thing in every podcast please everybody listen to this go back and listen to what jaden just said when we talked about pricing you know it's not just the divorce the discovery it's the filings it's the mediation so take that make it the recipe like pizza dive into the hours i mean there if you just get that part you will have such a better, more well run firm if you can just break that stuff down. So, thank you so much for sharing that and the way you did it. Because I'm going to get, we're going to pull that clip. We're going to run that clip. I'm going to go back and listen to it. I'm going to make everybody else listen to it. That was an incredibly succinct summation of so much of what it means to find a profitable pricing model for your firm. All right. But that being said, I cut you off. So, Um, you know, we're talking about the targeting, we're talking about the pricing, we're talking about people that didn't grow up with money, having the opportunity to know that they are worth it being okay, paying, you know, the right amount in taxes because you budgeted for it. Like help, help me through that mindset for as many law firm owner listeners as we can. Well, um,
1: you have to really think about it in the sense that it goes back to your why one, why did you leave the firm that you were at in order to start your own firm. And for me personally, it was because I knew that the churn and burn mentality that many CPA firms have did not resonate with me. I didn't like the fact that I only talked to clients when it was time to file taxes and that there was so much more from a financial standpoint that we could do to help them throughout the year that we weren't doing because we were so busy trying to have a volume-based firm and charge low prices. And so everyone has a unique story as to why they do what they do. Very, maybe I would say less than 5% of the people that talk about it talk about it from a, from a, from a money standpoint. Okay. Yes. But, but I need them to know at, at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, if you are working over 40 hours a week, you should get paid at least what the person that's getting that straight out of law school is getting at least it doesn't make sense for you to be burnt out only paying yourself $36,000 a year because you can't tell me that you want to give access to justice or you want to help hundreds of people secure their assets so that they don't have to go through the probate system, but you only can help but so many people because you're scared to charge your worth. And when you're scared to charge the worth, then that limits how many people that you can help. So when we really break it down like that, when we really make them understand that you're holding on to doing so many things, and you're holding on to a hundred-pound weight, and there's people around you that are willing to hold that weight for you so you can focus on rain making. When we break it down like that, it starts to make sense to people.
0: And, yummy, I, and
1: I mean I live up. by I live by example. So I live, I I truly, I work, I'm not, you know, I delegate, don't get me wrong, but I still work hard. Okay. I wouldn't have, you know, made millions of dollars in less than three years without doing so. So yes, I travel every month so that I can mentally, physically, spiritually reset. But those three weeks that I am here, I'm working. Okay. And I show them, I show them the good and I show them the great. I show them I take them on my journeys when I go to when I go to Nashville for ClioCon or when I go to Chicago for ABA Tech Show. I'm showing them you can tie in. You can tie in having a good time and also being around people that you enjoy being around and around people that might cut a check.
0: All right. Who doesn't like a check? Speaking of. Here's 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 our push. Here's what you and I need to tag team. Okay. ABA Tech Show okay. needs to move to the week before or the week after Lollapalooza in the middle of summer in Chicago and we need a double duty Chicago that way. Instead of this, none of this like random blizzard in March or I think next year it's going to be mid-February. Like, come on. Send us, send us to the right cities in the right time of year. Chicago in the summer. No, no better place. I highly doubt that will happen but I know. <laughs> but it's but, a good idea
1: right but you know what aba does an event every every don't they do events every quarter
0: i have so no idea
1: it's possible i'm on the email list so I, I i i definitely uh it's possible that they might already do an event in around that time
0: there we go all right we'll dive we'll dive into that afterwards all right. Um, can you go past three thirty? Yeah. Uh, All wait. Right. uh yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Cause otherwise we've got two minutes. Okay. So I just as a we'll will I'll keep it as close to time as possible. Um is there anything else you want to make sure we cover when it comes to the six steps, the profitability, running better law firms? I mean, we listen, I've got three pages of notes. So I know we've done a lot, but is there anything else you want to make sure we cover in the time that we have?
1: If I could just plug the book, that would be yeah, great.
0: Yeah, do mean, it. I,
1: I talked about it briefly, but uh, if they really, if you really want more information on the profit method, I break it down in my number one best selling book called Raise the Bar, which is available on Amazon. It's available in both the ebook format and the physical book format, um, and it's we- an easy read. You can read it on a flight
0: from the east coast to the west coast. There we go. Uh, do me a favor. Just when we're done, drop it in the chat. I'll make sure it gets shared. So for any of you watching this on plat- on the social media platforms, you'll have the link right to the book. Otherwise, if you're listening to it, you're going to have to Google it um, by the title instead of having the direct link, but so be it. We'll get it out there for you. All right. Yeah. So to everybody who was watching, listen to this. Thank you so much. It is so wonderful to have you all here. We will see you back here next Thursday at 6 PM for the next episode of Exhibit A-Tourneys where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the exhibit A of a successful lawyer. That being said, though, I'm not letting Jaden Goye go without one more thing. If somebody has been listening for the last you know, 55, 60 minutes and remembers nothing that you said, one, shame on them. You need to go back and re-listen. But two, if that's the case, what would be your most important takeaway? What would be your biggest nugget of wisdom to help more law firm owners be the exhibit A of a successful lawyer? Understand
1: that you deserve to be wealthy and stop overthinking what other people think about your
0: price. Ooh, I love it. Like, what are my competitors going to think? The competitors that don't care about you are going to smack talk your pricing, whether it's too high or too low or just right and nobody cares. I love that. Awesome. Jaden, thank you so much for being with us. Um, For anybody smart enough to want to get to know you more, connect with you more, hire you and your company, uh, obviously we'll have the book link here, but what's the best way for them to get in touch?
1: Um, Yeah, if they're looking to continue this conversation, they can go to to talktojaden.com. And uh, book a cons- for your people. I'll offer a complimentary consultation, um, and they can connect with me on social media. I'm always looking to connect. Uh, LinkedIn: Jaden Doyer, Instagram:
0: The Great Jaden. Love it! And for anybody again listening but not watching, J A Y D E N, Jaden, J A Y D E N, Jaden. Thank you so much to you, and thank you to everybody who watched and listened to this. We appreciate your time. Uh, more than you'll ever know. And hopefully, no, forget hopefully. I know we provide you a ton of value because I got a ton of value out of this. I've got so many pages. Uh, This has been awesome. We'll we'll see you all next Thursday, the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com. E-A-S-E.